Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D. in the house. So happy to be here. This is our first show in this season of 2022. Welcome, everybody. Belated Happy New Year. If you haven't heard that already on one of our Game Changer shows, I'm going to start out with my usual. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, this is the place you need to be. I have three very interesting experts today and a hot topic. So let me get started before we introduce our guests. I have four buzz quotes to introduce the topic. Listen up. Buzz number one. We have a single mission to protect and hand on the planet to the next generation. That is from Francois Hollande, Hollande. His full name, Francois Gerard Georges Nicolas Hollande, president of France, 2012 to 2017. Now you have an idea what we're talking about. Buzz number two, it's a collective endeavor. It's collective accountability, and it may not be too late. This is from Christine Madeleine Odette Lagarde, Odette Lagarde, president of the European Central Bank. Since 2019, we have buzz number three. It angers me when sustainability gets used as a buzzword. Uh Uh-oh. For 90% of the world, sustainability is a matter of survival. This from Cameron Sinclair, who is the CEO of the World Changing Institute. And one more buzz quote. And this is from Robert Charles Swan, first person to walk to both poles. Interesting. The greatest threat to our planet is the belief that someone else will save it. Okay, get that through your heads. What are we talking about here? Sustainability, the new frontier of digital transformation. I'm talking to our global listening audience here on Voice America Business. Digital transformation, you've been hearing this from us for years. It's even more important now because it's dominating business conversations from the C-suite to the front lines of customer service. Yes. What are the top challenges they're talking about? Decarbonizing, you must be familiar with that by now, and eliminating waste. Driving meaningful social responsibility across supply chains. Supply chains has become become a new word everybody even uses at cocktail parties since last year because of the impact of the pandemic on getting stuff from one place to the other. Moving to cloud platforms to integrate and extend applications across business networks and optimizing growth and innovation big topics, and enabling the visibility of fragmented data for compliance, including ESG, three important initials, environment, social and governance reporting, holistic steering, and supply chain transparency. Wow, those are big conversations. What's the bottom line in all of this conversation? Leaders and stakeholders want to understand what their businesses are doing and what more they can do to improve the health of the planet. My panelists are nodding because they know this is true. Data-driven insights are essential. We talk about them all the time, but they're even more important for building that understanding to drive action and measure impact. I have three panelists. We are Full disclosure, we are recording this on Zoom. I have the pleasure of watching them talk and watching them think. And I'm going to ask them for the purpose of the camera to wave when I mention your name. We have SAP's Frank Omari. Hello, Frank. Welcome. I met you on our prep call last week. Happy to have you here. We have Jennifer Beeson, also SAP. Hi, Jennifer. And we have Japen Hollis. Hi, Japen. How are you? And we're going to ask them for their take on creating the sustainable enterprise in 2022 and beyond. Again, Bonnie D. Graham, Bonnie in the house. Happy to be here. Let's go around the table and get some introductions. Frank Omari, 
Delighted to have you here, and I'm going to put you on full screen speaker view. That's a big responsibility for you, and you're going to tell us for the video, because people will see the video, please tell us what you do, Frank, and what's your passion for this topic that is becoming, rightfully so, a global passion, a global responsibility. Frank, welcome. Thank you very much. So I work in the um, global business technology uh, platform organization. And my role is to help uh, drive the adoption of that exciting, game-changing platform across our customer base. My background is procurement and supply chain, and I've worked in that area for over 20 years. So in terms of sustainability, there is a direct link between procurement supply chain and sustainability. Sustainability is something I've always been passionate about throughout my career. Um, Many years ago, when people talked about uh, sustainability, it was always about the environment. It was all about controlling uh, discharges and emissions. And I'm delighted that over the years, it, that topic has broadened to include human rights abuses, ensuring that everybody in the supply chain is earning a decent wage. Uh, it's about ensuring that people are working in conditions all of us would like to work in. So it's not just about the environment, it's also the social side of things as well. So that's something I'm very passionate about, and in my spare time, if I have any, <laughs> I do a lot of work supporting charities and organizations which are all about supporting people from disadvantaged backgrounds and ensuring that we are doing what we can to level the playing field for everybody. Thank you, Frank. And thank you for broadening the topic to the human side. I appreciate that. That's something that hopefully more and more people care about and are going to do something about it. I'm intrigued that you said you've been working in this area for 20 years and thinking about this for a long, long time. It is coming to the forefront, isn't it, Frank? Because there's more, there are more advocates, there are more vocalization of the issues, and we all know the planet is changing. If we get back to the environment, we know the planet is changing. It's warmer, it's colder. Things are not what they used to be, and we're all experiencing that as well as the human side. So thank you, Frank, and welcome. Let's move to our second panelist, Jennifer Beeson. She told me I could call her Jen. Jen Beeson, so happy to have you here. And for those who are listening on Voice America, Jen is somewhere in the mountains in a gorgeous, I'm going to say, sun-kissed mountaintop behind her with a lot of snow. I'm in North Carolina, Jen, and we we had snow and ice over the weekend. Ooh. I thought I moved to the south. It's 24 degrees here Fahrenheit this morning. So what can I tell you? So I feel like I should be in the mountains. Jen, please introduce yourself and also share your passion for the topic. Welcome. Thanks, Bonnie. I should tell you, I am waking up in Denver, Colorado to a nice 50 degree warm day, which also gives me a little bit of pause here in January. And one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk to all of you about sustainability today. I have the distinct pleasure for working for SAP's corporate social responsibility team, and I lead our social entrepreneurship strategy. Really, that comes down to three things. I look to inspire the next generation and really plant the opportunity for social entrepreneurship in the next generation and also SAP employees. We look to accelerate the work of incredible, mature nonprofits and social enterprises, typically through pro bono consulting, connecting incredible SAP employees to bring their skills. My friend Frank, who's on the line here today, has also been one of those incredible pro bono consultants, really helping to expedite and grow the work of these entrepreneurs. And last but not least, I look to scale social entrepreneurship both at SAP in our own supply chains and also creating markets out there in the world. 
And for those of you who are not super familiar with social entrepreneurship or social enterprises, this is really about embedding economic, social, environmental impact within your business strategy. A social enterprise reinvests more than 50% of their um, of their earnings back into their cause, um, but really the principles of social entrepreneurship can be adopted by any organization. Thank what you. gives me passion? Buddy? Yes, go ahead. Go ahead. You, know, you spend a lot of time at work, um, and for me, I want my role to matter. And and like Frank, I wouldn't say I have a ton of time outside of my job, um, but when I do, I spend a lot of time in the mountains and the great outdoors. Um, and I want to see this for generations to come. Thank you. And Jen, you said you want your role to matter and social entrepreneurship responsibility. Very interesting, but it matters now even more because you're on a globally heard radio, live radio show, and I will send you the video and you can share it on social. So you are letting Wonderful. your voice be heard even more than talking to colleagues or on small meetings. This show is heard all over the world by thousands of people. So we are helping you with your mission. How's that? Thank you. Like that? Okay, glad you're here. And let's go to Japen Hollis. Japen, so happy to have you here. Thank you for your patience. You're third, but you're still very important to us. Who are you? What do you do? Why are you here? What's your passion? A lot, lot of shoes to fill with your two client, two guests here in front of you, your two colleagues. Go ahead, Japen, and welcome. Thanks, Bonnie, and I'm with great company today. So delighted to be here. Um, I'm the SAP Sustainability Leader for North America. I report to our chief customer innovation officer. So I'm client facing. Um, I'm responsible to enable our field force um, to take our sustainability products to market in the United States and Canada. Um, I, I earned a master's degree in, in sustainability focused on corporate sustainability when I was a procurement officer um, at a Fortune 200 insurance company and took that knowledge and applied it and had a great experience of, of learning how to change the way that we went to market and who we were as an organization. And I believe that we became better as a result of moving towards sustainability goals. Um, I think to do that in a much larger scale um, here at SAP, I believe that sustainability is data centric and it requires um, in order for you to be transparent and accountable to your shareholders and your stakeholders, your community, you've got to be able to track data, show data, and so that, so that you can be held accountable to improvement. Um, I'm passionate about the topic because I don't think there's anything else on the planet today that if you want to make a difference, that you can make a difference like you can in sustainability. It's, it's the place to improve people's lives and and make the world better. Um, and that's why that's why I chose to come and work here um, because I think the work that we're doing and the products we're rolling out are pretty incredible and they're making big change. So Thank you very much, Jape, and thank you. And, and that's something we've seen, you know, we used to label it as something that the M generation, the millennials, by the way, they're grown up, they've got a lot of money, they're in positions of power, they're running companies, they're starting companies. I think we might have one here, we got to be nice to her. We might. But we, we, were, we were blaming them, oh, they want to work in places that matter, they want to do work that's important to them, they want to be in good environments in the company, outside of the company, they want to bring value to their internal stakeholders, their 
or external stakeholders, we say, oh, that's just a millennial thing. Well, now it's everybody's thing, right, Jen? It should be everybody's thing. You pick a company not just because they, they're close to where you are or they allow you to stay home and work remotely or because the salary is great. You pick a company based on shared values. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Three, yeah, shared you're values. Right. And sure. so that yeah. has that has permeated. I didn't say bled. It's permeated into the culture of the workforce that we want to work in places that matter to us and to our global community or our local community, whatever we consider community. Oh, so much philosophizing here today. This is such a great topic. You've all inspired me already, and we're only 14 minutes into the show. I can't wait for the rest of what you have to share. Let's go to our quote segment here. For those of you who amazingly are hearing the show for the first time somewhere around the world, I ask my guests to send me a quote from a song lyric or a fictional TV or movie character. The quote has absolutely nothing to do with the topic, and they're going to explain in their own words what it does have to do with the topic. So you'll hear more about their point of view about our topic of sustainability, and you'll get some interesting pop culture references. Frank Omaria sent us a quote from a song by Genesis, and the song won the Grammy Award for Best Concept Music Video. That's interesting. The album was Invisible Touch. It was released in 1986. Do the math. That's 14 plus 22, 30-something years ago. And by the way, Genesis, and interesting, you'll find this interesting in the Wikipedia write-up on Genesis. It doesn't say Genesis is a rock band is Genesis R an English rock band formed a Charterhouse School Goldam Godalming Surrey England in 1967 I'll leave it there here's the quote this is the world we live in and these are the hands we're given use them and let's start trying to make it a place worth living in that's lovely Frank how'd you find this talk to me well um I could say I wasn't born when that song was out, but uh, I think my mother might disagree. Um, I love the sentiment of the song, uh, and I would encourage anybody who hasn't heard that song to actually download it and listen to it. Um, The words are beautiful, and there's a lot of emotion and passion in that song. What is it? What what are they talking about? Well, they're talking about there is essentially there's no plan B. This is the world. These are the resources we've got. and we talked earlier on, I think it was a brilliant quote from you, Bonnie, about somebody saying this sustainability is all about handing over the planet in good, <laughs> in a good form, good shape, yes. to the next generation. And that song sings about that. Um, I, and there's enough resources in the world to satisfy the needs of everybody. And when you think about some of the frightening statistics out there, 40 million people trapped in modern slavery, roughly 30% of the world's food production is wasted. You start thinking, hold on, we've got people in some countries who are starving. They don't have, they don't have shelter, yet we're wasting 30% of the food. We're talking about a handful of people. Uh, I think the latest figure is 22 million, 22 people have as much wealth as all the women in Africa. What's going on? So that's what this song is all about. We need to take a look at the way the world is being run, how we're consuming resources, how we interact with each other, and let's start taking some steps to level the playing field for everybody. If you remember in my intro, I said some of the things I do outside work when I support charities and organizations which have purpose in their mission, it's all about what can we do to level the playing field, give everybody an opportunity. So that's why that song resonates with me. And I'm sure when everybody uh, listens to this song, it'll also resonate with them. Frank, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You're welcome to say no. Can you sing a little bit of the song? 
<laughs> okay, we'll leave it at that. I got my nice hands on. Nice try. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Jennifer Beeson, I might ask you to sing this one, but I know a little bit of the melody. Da, 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 da. That's about all I'm going to do. The song is Higher Love, 1980, same year as the other one, 1986. It was a very good year. English singer Stevie Won- Winwood, the first single released from his fourth solo LP, Back in the High Life, was written by Winwood and Will Jennings and produced by blah, blah, blah. The female vocals were performed by Chaka Khan, who hey. also yay, in the music video. Video, and this was Winwood's first Billboard Hot 100 number one song for one week. The song before it was Madonna's Papa's Don't Pre- Papa Don't Preach, and followed by Bananarama's Venus. Uh, where do I find? I just know this, Jen. I just carry this trivia. I'm impressed. It's, it's a curse. It's a real curse. Anyway, here's the here's, here's the here's the lyric. Here's the lyric Jen has selected from Higher Love. Think about it. There must be higher love. Without it, life is wasted time. Look inside your heart. I'll look inside mine. I'm getting goosebumps. Jen, how'd you find this one? Beautiful, Frank. Um, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make so- you sing, Frank, if you're not careful. Stop laughing. Go ahead, Jen. <laughs> well, I'm so excited, Frank, that you and I both harnessed the 80s to to bring this out. Um, this is one of my all-time favorite songs. And for me, it really, it really pulls on. I think people really want to do the right thing. And they really want to do something great with the time that they have. Sometimes we all need a reminder. And I think this is one of those reminders that lets us all know that, hey, it's not too small. You can start today. And everyone has the power to make a change. And if if we're not, if we're not giving it all we have, then what are we doing? What is the point? We only get one pass around this incredible planet this life of ours and if we're not doing something incredible with it then what are we living for and um so i would just challenge all of us to bring me a higher love and we're all gonna you know rock with it a little bit (laughs) see frank we almost got her to sing it that's good bring me some higher love okay we don't usually sing on this show but why not it's a new year you know new 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 style here thank you very much for the passion jennifer (laughs) hollis has sent us a four word quote you win for the quote of the day for four words that's the short short quote that's your winning here the it's a credo first stated by the armorer played by actress emily swallow provided the character's voice and live action performance and her stunts were performed by lauren mary kim whoever she is thank you of course the show is the mandalorian american space western tv series for the streaming service disney plus launched on november 12 2019 and the line is this is the way and let me just read a little bit more here japen according to the armorer when one chooses to walk the way of the mandalore you are both hunter and prey Ooh, i'm getting chills here japen <laughs> this is the way what does this mean to our topic japen hollis go for it um so there's lots of meetings here and i connected with it pretty strongly um certainly the the first one is is it this is the way is sustainability is the way for the future. Um, the other thing that makes it personal to me is that I was a young army officer at Fort Benning, Georgia, when I first really stumbled across the idea of sustainability. And I was preparing, I was preparing young, young soldiers to go to war. And, uh, and I was running basic training at the time um, as an infantry officer. 
And, and I started to think about, you know, was as valuable as it was to, uh, to be in that, in, in, in that endeavor as a soldier and protect freedom and be a guardian of freedom. Um, were there other things that I could do with my life that might have greater, um, greater meaning? And, and I stumbled across sustainability then as an idea that, that could really be powerful. And so it's interesting that, that this, the story of the Mandalorian is this kind of this, this militant guy, right? He's a warrior. And, and what is he protecting? Well, he's protecting Baby Yoda, and Baby Yoda's green, right? And, and so for me, it's interesting that the next generation, the babies of this world need warriors that we're going to go out and protect them, protect their future and make a world for them that is, that's worth living in, one that's better than the one we found, right, than we were given. And if we're not doing that as parents and as, as adults, then, then I don't think we're succeeding, so anyway, that, that, there's a lot of deep meetings there, and it's a fun film, um, but sustainability is the way for the future. Thank you very much, and I wanted to tell you that the armorer's costume, Japen, took weeks to make. It was challenging because it had limited, limited visibility and small movements. Anything that she did in the costume was noticeable, so she had to be very careful of what they saw. Emily Swallow wore the helmet and armor costume for up to nine hours at a time during film, and when she auditioned for the role, she had no idea it was for a Star Wars film, Star Wars show. No wow. idea. Very, very interesting. Of course, this trivia is just all in my head. Thank you all very much for very beautiful quotes and a lot of deep meaning, and I appreciate that. And now we're going to go into the formal roundtable part of our show. I've asked my guests to each send me four very meaty statements with their POV on the topic. I'm going to pick one from each of you, maybe not in the order in which you sent them. And I'm starting with statement number one from Frank Omari. I'll put it in the chat for you, Frank. It's long and wonderful. I'm going to read just a little bit, and here's what will happen. You'll unpack it, please, for about three minutes. And then I will ask Jen, who's sitting virtually next to you here on Zoom, Jen, to agree or disagree. Frank's in a really good mood. He told me it's okay to disagree with him. Just be nice. (laughs) And then, Japen, you get the pleasure of agree or disagree with Frank and or with Jen. You've got your work cut out for you, so pay attention here. And then I will pick a statement from Jen. When we're when we're finishing up this conversation, we'll go around the table, Jen, Japen, and Frank, and then I'll pick one from Japen, and we'll go continue around. So the statement number one from Frank starts off as the follows, of following. Over the years, organizations have updated their operating models to reduce costs and increase efficiency. Manufacturing has been outsourced to third parties and or raw materials and components are being sourced from low-cost country locations. I'm going to stop there. That's a good conversation starter. Frank, why you unpack this, add a little more, and let's see what the others have to say. Frank, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, in terms of my background, which I mentioned before, is procurement supply chain. This is something which resonates with me. Uh, so in terms of my manufacturing background, uh, reducing costs, increasing efficiency, Says a procurement, efficient sourcing, try to reduce costs. Everything points uh, towards cost reduction and improving efficiency. That's great. And that's what, if you like, mass consumerism, globalization has done. However, the disadvantage of that, the flip side of that, is that when you've got supply chains which go around the world several times, when you've got organizations sourcing raw materials and components from uh, suppliers who are thousands of miles away, that brings risk into your supply chain. 
lack of transparency, lack of visibility, who's doing what, who are the intermediaries, how much are we being, how much are people at the front end of the supply chain being paid? Because everybody in the supply chain, as you would imagine, they're in this for the money. So it's, they have their price margins, they have their price buildups. So when we receive a particular good or a service, uh, we think about how much we're paying for it. But way down the supply chain, there is somebody who's been paid less than two, $2 a day. There are people working in conditions that you and I wouldn't even think were, were possible. And then we've got uh, emissions, discharges into the environment. Do you know, during the pandemic, when uh, there was, when basically the world's economy stood still, people in India were able to see the Himalayas for the first time in 30 years because there was just no production, no pollution. So what am I trying to say here? Well, consumerism, globalization has benefited a lot of people, myself included, in terms of my lifestyle, but there's a price that we're paying for this. And that is why we've got 40 million people trapped in modern slavery, as I mentioned before. That's why we've got about 800 million people who are working in the world, but not earning enough to lift themselves and their families out of poverty. So this is what I'm, this is a sentiment really behind what I'm trying to say. We, are, we all know that globalization outsourcing has happened, but I, I feel that there's a, there's a shift. The value of cost reduction and efficiency is being questioned in relation to the cost of human rights abuses and the damage we're doing to the environment. Thank you very much. Very passionate there, very impassioned. Let's see what your co-panelists have to say. Jen, talk to me. Agree or disagree? Talk to Frank. I mean, agree, agree, agree. Frank, I think you know this is a topic actually that Frank and I work on across the world together, which is really cool. Um, cost is relative, as, as Frank mentioned at the end. There is, there is um, an incredible cost to the social and environmental factors when you're purely looking at price reduction in areas like your supply chain. I also want to flip it. There is incredible opportunity to look at the way that you source through your supply chain. There is incredible opportunity to consciously choose vendors that are making, um, you know, that are delivering economic equity and social, positive social impact and environmental responsibility through their goods and services. And there are incredible organizations out there, for example, um, Social Enterprise World Forum or B-Lab that are really going to be there to help you make those awesome decisions with the way that you purchase. So it's not just about the dollars and cents or the euros and cents or the, the price that you're paying for a good. You actually have to truly look at the impact, negative or positive, with the goods and services that you're buying. Japen, over to you. Thank you, Japen, over to you. That's hey. my job. Japen, thank you. Japen, what do you think? Sure. So totally agree. Um, you know, effective supply chain risk management, I believe, is is key. Um, this, I guess the point that I'd like to introduce to the to the conversation is, you know, is this 
idea of going to the low-cost overseas, produ- overseas producer, which seems to be the prevalent logical step that modern businesses take, really violates a principle of sustainability, which is the principle of locality, right? Where, where we, should be, we should be operating without, you know, I mean, it flips globalization on its head. It says, operate in local sustainable regions so that your carbon footprint is less and so that you waste less and you employ local people, right? So part of sustainability is flipping business models on their heads, which is really hard, right? It's very difficult, particularly when, when businesses have invested millions and millions of dollars in the way that they currently do business. What we're asking them to do with sustainability is look at the broader picture. It is not just the, you know, the financial gain, but there's social gain, right? There's, there's improvement that can be done if we'll, if we'll adopt different business models, right? Circular ones, not linear ones. Um, and ones that focus on, on local locality or where people live, the local area, as opposed to global means of distribution. So that's Interesting. my that's- Thank you all. I have a question for all of you going to go around the table with this. I ask this often on these shows. We talk about you should, they should, companies should, 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 should. Whose job is it? Is there one person at the top, once a company embraces, Frank is smiling, embraces the concept that you're going to upend your business model and you're going to focus on the good the right things that companies are doing that are in your supply chain that are providing sources and resources and materials and products and and last mile, first mile, all the way along that global supply chain, wherever it is, one mile away or a million miles away, if there's that far between supply chain sources. But my point is, whose job is it? Is is there one person in a company who will say, okay, let's look at these 15 suppliers we've been using for five years. This one is doing good. This one is using poor relationships with their local workforce. This one is very wasteful. They're not part of the circular economy. They're not recycling and recirculating the resources that they're pushing off in their manufacturing processes. Whose job is it? Is this a new C-suite job? Is this a new person in, like in your organization, social entrepreneurship, Jen, something like that? Who who will be the one we will be able to look to in the coming years and say, okay, I'm going to use Bob Jones, Bob Jones is heading this at XYZ Corporation, and Bob is doing a great job with his team and making sure that sustainability is top of the priority list. They're living it, they're breathing it, and they're making it happen all the way up and down in the company and around the world. So whose job is it? Just briefly, is there a title you would give that person, Frank? Or is it just briefly, I want to go around and see, because we need to tell people, I think our, our audience wants to know who, who who has to do this. We talk in big, broad, global terms. You, who's you? We're talking to companies that have thousands, tens of thousands of employees. Who is the you? Frank, who is that you? If you don't mind my well, asking. For me, it's very simple. Leadership. The person who leads the board is a chief executive. He or she is responsible for setting the tone, for driving uh, a culture that embraces sustainability, that thinks about how that company is perceived and how it operates in other countries. That person is responsible for making sure that the organization is walking the talk. He or she will be supported by a board. On that board, hopefully, will be somebody who is uh, responsible for sustainability. And that person will need to work with the different board areas. Now, 
coming from procurement, you won't be surprised when I say, I think that procurement have an important role to play here. It's one of the, it's one of the functions that has the most influence on the success of any sustainability program. It's procurement that does the sourcing, chooses the, chooses the suppliers, monitors the performance of the suppliers against ethical standards. Okay. It drives compliance with procurement policies. So if, you know, as Jason was saying earlier on, there is a shift in terms of introducing more local sourcing to support local communities, mm. or what Jen was saying in terms of social enterprises, who have in their mission to do good as well as make a profit and reinvest those profits. It's procurement that does the evaluation, selects suppliers and awards the contract. If anything goes wrong in the supply chain, it's procurement's role to identify those risks and mitigate against those risks. And if they don't, they have to put in place contingency plans. So in my view, procurement are at the operating level the most important function to drive this. But if you were to pick one person, one person alone, who is accountable and responsible for this in any organization, it could be the chief exec. Thank you. Very multi-layered answer, and I appreciate it. I learned a lot. Let's quickly go. No, I, I really appreciate the way you honed in on that because that's what I wanted to hear. I wonder where does it where does it sit? Where does the buck stop? Jen, anything you want to add to that? I do. Um, I think the buck stops with all of us. Every single one of us, regardless of a sustainability or corporate social responsibility strategy established by the chief executive office, it's about each of us making individual socially responsible decisions about the way we source, the way we buy, and the way that we're pushing our own organizations. So I may not have a million-dollar budget at SAP, but I have to buy things for my company every year, and I can choose who to source from. I can take what I've learned and bring that into my personal life. So for every CEO, at least at our company, there's 104,000 other people that also the buck stops with them to make the right decision. Thank you. Boy, this is getting better and better. Go ahead, Japen. I know you want to add. Go ahead. Sure. Um, totally agree with Frank um, and Jennifer. Uh, the only thing that I would that I would add on top of that is that often CEOs don't know and people don't know. So what they're doing is they're hiring experts in the field and they're and they're labeling labeling them right chief sustainability officers, right? And, and they're looking to them to lead. The, the issue is, is they don't have the purse strings of the corporation, the leaders do, right? So it comes back to what you're buying, to, to Frank's point, right? But they are a great source for leadership, for ideas, for, for improvement, for empowerment, right? For just getting everyone to Jen's point. Everyone, this has to become what we do and how we change, mm-hmm. right? This is the way. This is the way. This, there we go. See, <laughs> see, see how those quotes come back and they get used during the show. This is the way. I like that. I like that. Thank you all. Thank that was a little bit of a sidebar roundtable. But I, I get curious during these conversations. The question is, whose job is it anyway? Or whose job is mm-hmm. it right now, today, and tomorrow? And I think we all need to to. To bring that out, whose responsibility? And you all contributed so well to that conversation. Each one of you brought some a different way of looking at it. And I thank you. I appreciate it. Let's get back to our formal roundtable.
table. Jen Bisa and I am looking at your statement number three. This is an interesting one. Let's keep it zipping along because we want to make sure we pick up one from, from Japen as well after this. So Jen says, how can you create sustainable business strategies meant to serve customers and meet their future needs without working alongside next-gen leaders? Hint, you can't. And she says, the possibilists. 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 A recent study representing 16 of the world's leading youth social innovation networks shared that there are more than 1.2 billion with a B young people ages 15 to 24. Oh, that's what young is now living on the planet today or 16% of the world's population. And she says for every Greta, Malala or Simone making global headlines there are thousands of young change makers. Jen, briefly take us through this and then we'll see what Japen and Frank have to say. Go ahead. Yeah, for me, this always starts with what's the definition of insanity? Trying the same thing over and over and over again and getting the same result. I look around and I see companies trying the same things over and over again, getting the same result. And they scratch their heads and they wonder, why aren't things changing? And they're not changing because they're not looking at things with diverse, fresh perspectives. And one incredible opportunity I have had the privilege of personally working with not only at our company, but other companies around the world is bringing in incredibly skilled next generation leaders to sit in decision making rooms with our own leadership today. No, we may not have access to the Greta's and the Malala's of the world, but as I said, there are thousands of young change makers in communities everywhere that are ready to work alongside you that are experts and innovators in every topic imaginable. This year, I was so proud of our own company because SAP actually announced a young climate financial activist uh, and leader to our own external sustainability advisory council. They took the step forward and said, you know what? We Yes, we have incredible, esteemed leaders with 20 plus years experience in sustainability sitting there and advising SAP. Perhaps it's time for us to take a different approach. And they did. And this is something that everyone has the power to do. It doesn't matter how large or small your organization is. Look outside your own organization and find someone with a different perspective. Yes, I gave the example here of bringing in young expert leaders, and there are many of them out there. You can go to We Are Family Foundation. You could go to Changemaker Exchange. You could go to One Young World. They will all help you connect with incredible young leaders, but the sentiment is the same no matter who you want to bring into the room. You need to have different perspectives if you want to meet the needs of future customers and deliver a sustainable business strategy. Thank you. I, I wish you were more passionate about this, Jen. I'm just so, Can you tell? I, I just there's just no energy there. <laughs> I'm I'm teasing her. Off the charts, Ms. Beeson. Off the thank charts. Thank you. I know, thank you. Jason Japen Hollist. I got the P's and the S's mixed up. Japen, go ahead. Take take two minutes because I still want to squeeze in one of your topics. I have it selected. What do you think about what Jen just said? Japen. So I'm going to, I'm going to quote Jen. I agree, agree, agree. Um, so yeah, so, so powerful. And I, I love when I read the quote that you provided, I, my, my pushback was going to be, I agree with you, but it's not just the young. It, it's, it needs to include the young and it doesn't often, but it needs to be 
diverse and indigenous communities, right? Those folks live sustainably, sustainably, right? We need, we need to broaden the sphere of, of social inputs to corporate decision-making. And those corporations that do allow for a broader brace, base of diversity and, and, and actively seek for, for comment and, and listen, right? That's the key because it's, it, it always wins in the reputation column when we can say, oh yeah, look, look at this global young leader who we brought in, but are they listening and will they change? That, that becomes the big issue. Um, so it's not, it's not so much as bringing them in because it always makes for a good PR story, but will they listen and make the change? And those that do, you're finding that they are leapfrogging their competition. It becomes a competitive advantage. So that's my take on it. Reality yeah. check. Reality <laughs> check. Frank, I want to get you in on this. Uh, I'm putting your statement in the chat for you for the next one, Japen. Go ahead, Frank, briefly. What do you think? Excellent ideas from Japen and Jen. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, an, an organization's ecosystem is only so finite. So at the end of the day, you do need to reach out uh, and it's through partnerships and working with organizations that are focused on a particular cause. And when you engage a broad mix of people, you develop an idea, you develop ideas and thinking which are holistic. And uh, yeah, to Japan's, Japan's point as well, uh, it's not just diversity in terms of age. I think we all know that. Uh, so I'm not going to downplay what Jen said. I, I, you know, Jen and I know each other. Diversity means a diverse group of people in terms of age, demographics, uh, where they're living, um, which part of the world, even different points of view they may have. And it's a collective, really, that makes an organization powerful. Building consensus, working out which is a, what is the, what's the best thing to do and incorporate those into your plans. And I, I think when organizations start to do this and take a view that we need to understand what's going on in the broader world build consensus in terms of what are the key priorities, uh, then that's when you, you get long-lasting change rather than somebody deciding, hey, let's just do this because, hey, it's a short-term thing, so if it fails, no one's going to notice. Hey, and by the way, if we do this, it will make us look good. People, this is why a lot of people are switched off the whole thing about when it comes to sustainability. World leaders do this. They make these speeches, and you know they don't mean it. They haven't consulted widely. So when they make these speeches about we're going to do this, then you think, what are they talking about? Who wrote this script? Who did they consult with? So we need to get past that. And I think that's a sentiment of what uh, my colleagues have, you know, really hit the, uh, the nail on here. They really brought that home. Quotable moment, Mr. Omari. Who wrote this script? What are they talking about? <laughs> that's, that's a moment and it's at about 45 minutes into the show when i send you the audio tracks from zoom fast forward to yours to about 45 minutes and find that okay who wrote this script i think we have an iconic moment here frank it's yours you got that one okay you will have a moment. let me i'm jen instead of going back to you because i think we had a really good round on that one i'm gonna pick up statement number four from japen and see if we have we have we have about 10 minutes left so this should be good 
He says, with all of the dialogue around sustainability, it's easy to think that it is an end goal, air quotes if you're listening on Voice America, but that would be wrong. Think of your most important relationship, perhaps your spouse or life partner. Do you want it to be sustainable or do you want it to be positive, thriving or flourishing? Of course, we want it to be the best it can be. The same is true for business. Let's talk about that end goal or in progress, a process and ongoing continuum. I hope I'm saying all the right words. Japen, take it away. What do you think? Sure. So uh, for me, you know, this idea of, of having sustainability focused on chasing zero and emissions and waste and inequality, it's all wonderful. But in my mind, that's the first rung of the ladder. Now, we can't stop there, right? And so so many, so many businesses focus on just getting to be sustainable. We forget that what we're after is a world that is far better than the one we found. It's not just sustainable, right? No one wants a, you know, a sustainable relationship. We want a thriving and a flourishing and a wonderful, right? We want it above that. Um, and so I think that can't be the end goal. There has to be that's just the first rung. Now, it's a colossal effort to get there. That's, that's the other piece, right? It's so hard to just get there. There's so much change that has to be made, but that's not where businesses need to focus. We have to focus beyond. Japen, I want to just read a definition. I don't usually look stuff up during a live show anymore. I used to when we were when I was tweeting 20 tweets in an hour, but I looked up the word sustainability, and this is just the standard dictionary term. Listen to this, the ability to maintain at a certain rate or level. Avoidance of the depletion of natural resources in order to maintain an ecological balance. And you're talking about something past certain rate or level. You're talking past current balance. You're talking past maintaining. You're talking thriving and flourishing. You've just taken the definition. I think sustainability might be a little stale as a word if we go with the dictionary meaning. Am I right, Frank and Jen and Japen? It's it's looking a little, uh, a little not quite there. Sustainability implies let's keep it where it is right now. And that's not what we want to do because we're not happy with where it is right now. So let's go around the table on what Japen just shared. Frank, you happen to virtually be sitting right next to Mr. Hollis. So go ahead. See, the table just keeps turning. Frank, what do, you th- what do you think? Agree or disagree? Go ahead, Frank. Hey, look, I agree. Of course, I d- agree. Because sustainability should have embedded in it this concept of continuous improvement. So it's not just about achieving zero or achieving a certain uh, target or KPI. Uh, yes, it's important to report on measures and KPIs just to chart your progress. But getting to an end point shouldn't be the be all and end all. And if it is, it's very, very short term and people will be very cynical about it, particularly when uh, organizations decide to, dare I say it, invest resources in achieving that target. And I think we all know what that means, where you can buy carbon credits, you can invest in this, you can. That is not long lasting change. For me, it's about taking a long term view. I talked earlier on about leveling the playing field for everybody. That's something I'm very passionate. That is not going to happen in five years or 10 years. That is something that's going to go on for many, many years. And even when we think we've got there, we need to reevaluate our position and think about what we can do next. 
And it's the same thing with the environment. It's the same thing about chasing. You know, what are you going to do once you once you've achieved zero? Do nothing, sit in your hands, or are you going to think, what else can we do? Okay, we have achieved zero, but has the world? What can we do to help other organisations? What can we do to support local communities? What else can we be doing? And if we can't think of what other things we should be doing, hey, let's go and talk to some other people who have some ideas in terms of what we can do. So I am a hundred percent behind open. Uh, I do not believe sustainability is something that is short term, and I do not believe it's just about hitting targets and KPIs. This is very much a journey, and it's not about the what's. It's also about the hows. If we're going to achieve a certain target, for example, how are we doing that? Are we being ethical, or are we just spending dollars and trying to be clever and say, "Hey, look at us! We've achieved this target." Thank you very much. Passionate impassion. Jen, you get the last word on this topic, and then we're going to look toward the closing. Go ahead, Jen. Okay. I, I might put out a little bit one of an unpopular one here, but I'm going to okay. say, and without having an end goal in mind, it is really hard to organize an entire company or group of people around a sustainable path forward. So Japen and Frank, I completely agree with everything you said about how are we changing business processes and how are we embedding different ways of working that are economic, social, environmentally focused. And we need a goal to all center ourselves around and really get people marching in the same direction. And setting a goal for any organization especially one in sustainability, is really, really hard. If you have ever tried to do this for your company, you know this is true, especially on the social impact side. How do you measure the opportunity of improving people's lives? How do you measure the fact that there truly is um, an improvement in human rights around the world? It is hard to do, but you have to start somewhere. So I encourage you, yes, Think long-term, but set a goal and march toward it. Thank you very much. Very, very powerful topic. Japen, thank you for the conversation starter. I want to introduce one quick extra topic here because it's a very specific something to leave in the minds, the hearts of our listeners. It's statement number two from Frank Omari. I'm just going to read a little bit. Frank, if you could just spend a minute and a half, two minutes, and then one or two sentences from the others, and then we'll close. Frank says, food supply chain can be increased through big data, supercomputing, and hyperconnectivity that improves crop yields through precision farming. Global food waste estimated at 30% can be reduced through better storage and transport infrastructure. This is so important and it's very specific. We've been talking in big broad terms, I think, for most of this. Let's, I, I should have picked this up in the first, but we had so many <laughs> concepts to go. We need a part two, kids. We need a part two. Frank, just very briefly, what, what, what about this? Talk to me very quick. Okay. Okay, so when we talk about technology, uh, people think, yeah, okay, you know, you know we're, we're forcing a narrative here in terms of uh, trying to sell technology and kidding ourselves that we are improving the quality of people's lives. And I disagree with that. I think technology can be a force for good, whether it's through business networks, whether it's through big data, internet technologies, uh, internet of things. There's just so many internet technologies that I could talk about, but I'm not going to. But what I want to say to... Uh, and what I want to leave with the uh, with the listener is technology c 
can be a force for good. There's so much data out there, and there's only, there's only so much we can do uh, through manual processes uh, and through uh, old systems. Technology enables us to do more, and it enables us to be more far-reaching in terms of our goals. So if you want to look at one of my pet themes is there's enough there is enough food in the world to feed everybody. Yet we have people starving in some countries, and in some countries, food is being wasted. That is not sustainable. But by using technologies as a high-precision farming, mm. we can increase the productivity of farming in poor countries where more is being produced per square meter of land. And through technologies such as networks, we can actually bring people together. Thank you, Frank. Very, very good closing statement. Let's get a quick comment from Jen and then one from Jape, and I give you about 45 seconds each. Go, Jen. I agree. Technology is the way forward. And because we know that, we need to ensure that we're focused on inclusive education, especially digital inclusive education, and ensuring that all people have access to the understanding of the role technology can play and learn how to use the technology so that all people, Frank, can take advantage of the technologies that you're talking about. Thank you. Japin, final word. Sure. Um, I completely agree with Frank, uh, but I think that the technologies in the case of precision farming for high crop yield, that the technologies need to change the way that that agriculture is done in the first place, right? Because it's still monocropping, it's not organic, there's still a heavy reliance on, on petroleum-based fertilizers and chemicals. And, and we need to flip that on its head again, right? Business models, again, is my theme to change. And innovation and technologies can help change those business models yeah. so that we can then have better distribution, again, going back to ideas like locality. For food. Thank you very much. Frank, thanks for that final statement there. See, I, that's why I need so much from each of you, because we want to keep pulling out these thoughts and these ideas and leaving our listeners with so many interesting things. I am appreciative to all of you for being here. I want to thank Dana Corder at SAP, my showrunner, for uh, helping to put this all together, and Ira Burke at SAP for sponsoring. This is where we have one more episode to the series eight seasons. Oh my goodness. Listeners all over the world. And I want to thank our engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller at Voice of Everybody. Say thank you, Aaron. Thank, thank you, you, Aaron. <laughs> and guest stay on. I want to talk to you about another show after we're done. So I'm just going to say thank you very much to everybody involved in the show. I have enjoyed speaking with the three of you, learning from the three of you. And I know that we've shared really valuable concepts, but your passion, your engagement in this, doing what you do in your jobs, in your roles, and in your philosophy and in your heart is what carries the enthusiasm. But I also want to say we talk about technology and advancements, and we talk about the possible I got it right, Jen. That's right. We forgot, we forgot to say that technology is fun, that making the world better is fun. You can actually enjoy it. It's not, oh, we got it. It's, hey, we can have fun doing this because there is excitement in technology. I've been in tech. I'm an early woman in tech. I'll explain later. And it's always been exciting for me. So there we go. Here's my closing remarks. Fasten your seatbelt. Everybody got their seatbelt on? Ready. Frank, you got yours on? Okay, ready? <laughs> what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Frank Omari. Wave goodbye, Frank. Just like Jennifer Beeson. Wave goodbye, Jen. And just like Japen Hollist, Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a good one. Bye-bye. 
Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. 